Welcome to the Your Own Medicine podcast. Thank you for listening. My name is Callie Klug and I am a yoga teacher and somatic practitioner in Southern California. A Your Own Medicine podcast was really created with this idea and this intention of bringing knowledge to you to access the medicine within you and within your own body. So thank you for listening. Let's go. Welcome to this week's episode. I don't know why I'm saying this week because it's not like this is a weekly podcast. It's very sporadic, but thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And I am very excited to share this with you. Um, Dr. Justine Weber is a dear friend of mine and I um, love and uh, admire her personally. And I also really admire her work Um, She has a very no-bullshit approach to healing, which I feel like aligns with my own approach. And um, I've had her on the podcast before. She was on episode 33, Healing from Narcissistic Abuse. That one was kind of more general. Um, In this week's episode, we're talking about healing, or actually we're talking about navigating narcissistic dynamics more in like a familial setting. Um, And then she also just wrote a book, which is like amazing. And I read it. I got it before everyone else because it actually, it drops December 6th just for the holidays. Um, I don't know if that was intentional or not, but I sped read it this weekend and it was so good. It like, it's very thorough. Um, She really covers it all. Um, She talks about familial narcissism and um being in a relationship with a narcissist um whether it be romantic or if you were married um she also goes through like post um I don't know exactly what it's called but after you break up with someone who's like that um it normally the abuse doesn't just stop um especially if you're in like court battles or you're co-parenting or or parallel parenting so um if you have ever If any of this resonates with you, I really encourage you to check out her book. It's called How the Fuck Do I Heal From This? And I mean, like the title makes you want to buy it, made me want to read it immediately. Um, So I really recommend it. It's really amazing. And she's just a wellspring of knowledge and experience because she's lived a lot of this herself. So she has this... um, lived experience that you don't get from someone who has not had this experience and one thing I wanted to even say while we were recording but I wasn't I didn't get the chance to is that if you have been in some kind of um experience like this I really encourage you when you are on you know in recovery to find a therapist or a coach or whoever it may be that has had some kind of lived experience in this arena because it is very brutal. It's very beyond words. Um, Not everyone has experienced something like this. And I think having someone that has been there, whether it be the author of a book you're reading or a therapist or a coach or a practitioner, it really helps to aid on your healing and it's very validating so 
I'm I'm excited for you to listen. So um, uh, yeah, and happy Thanksgiving. Hopefully this is supportive to you during the holidays. Um, if you are interested in getting even more amazing support during the holidays, I have a bunch of Black Friday deals that are really sweet. I have 50% off of Venom, which is my signature program. Um, normally it is $2.95. I have lots of payment plans starting at like $45 a month. Um, but for Black Friday, I'm offering it for 50% off with the code Black Friday. Um, Venom is like my signature on-demand program. Um, it's like my child that has um, modules on supporting you to heal from people-pleasing through somatics. So with very practical practices, um, uh, anger and rage integration, inner villain integration and somatic parts work, um, integrating healthy narcissism because obviously narcissism when it goes unchecked, it can be very um, cruel and destructive, but there's a certain level of healthy narcissism and healthy self-esteem that we do need to have, and um, that's all in Venom, and it's on demand, so you have lifetime access, and then I'm bringing back one-on-ones, which I'm very excited about. I haven't offered one-on-ones for probably about six months, Um they're on Zoom. It's a 90-minute somatic session, so it's part workshop where I'm explaining these concepts, and then part somatic session where we actually um, do a one-on-one session where we um, do these practices together, and it's very customized. Afterwards, I send you a whole PDF with everything we've done, and normally these sessions... I believe they're three fifty. I'm offering them fifty percent off. Once again, it's like one seventy something, um, and there's only three of them available, and one has already been taken. So, if that's interesting to you, check it out. And without further ado, here is the podcast. Okay. All right. Welcome, Justine. So, um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, who you are, um, and what you do, and any new books that you've created? <laughs> well, first off, thank you for uh, having me back on your podcast. Always, uh, we always have a a good time together. <laughs> so I'm um, I'm a psychologist, uh, a California licensed psychologist, and I am a narcissistic abuse recovery coach. Um. In my private practice, I see all adults, um, men, women, couples, specialized in anxiety, depression, you know, panic attacks. Um, I do some psychological testing, not that much. Uh, what I'm most passionate about is my coaching business, which I launched, um, I guess, like two years ago. And I help women uh, who have just left a narcissistic relationship, and I help them navigate through that whole process of, you know, emotional healing, um, setting boundaries, uh, through this treatment, you know, we're always linking in, um, the past as well. There's always reasons why we get into these relationships. So that's always part of the treatment. Um, but really just kind of getting these, uh, clients to a place where they're just really like happy and loving life, <laughs> the best version of themselves. Lastly, I finished a book uh, over here. 
um, a few months ago. I'm very happy to present it. My so, new book. <laughs> so I just, uh, this is going to be, uh, my launch date is December 7th. And um, so, but yeah, this is, this book is a kind of guide from the beginning to the end of um it would appeal to someone who is just left and they're just in this place of like what the fuck is this what the fuck do I do now um kind of a thing and so I Wait, you, you didn't know, say the title of the book sorry the book title is how the fuck do I heal from this understanding narcissistic abuse and how to get your life back together I love this title. I think it says everything. I had some pushback to when I wanted to release this, but I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go with it because I think it kind of describes everything. And oftentimes what women are feeling when they're in this state of like, how the fuck am I going to heal from this? Like, what? where do I go from now? Like, which direction do I go? Yeah. So it's just a guide from start to finish. I talk a lot about trauma. And then towards the end, how to really form healthy relationships in life after a narcissistic abusive one. Mm. Yeah, no, I love the title. I feel like it really embodies like the feeling of rebel that you feel after um, an experience with narcissistic abuse, because it's really can feel like earth shattering. Absolutely. It just really shatters, I think, your soul, you know, your heart, your mind with all the rumination mm. and, um, it really does. And so it's just a matter of like, okay, how can I begin to rebuild all of this, you know? Totally. And I read the book, um, I got her like copy. So I read it. It's so good. Um, I feel like you covered a lot and a lot of it we'll be covering today, you know, just like in the podcast as well. Um, and we have some cute, some questions that people sent in, um, before we recorded this, I went on social media and asked, you know, I announced that you were coming and people had a lot of questions. Um, mm -hmm. I think a lot of people have these um, experience with these dynamics in their romantic and familial life. So, um, and then on top of that, this episode is really focused on navigating these dynamics during the holidays, which we have Thanksgiving this week, we have Christmas coming up. So um, what are your thoughts just like to get it going in that direction on like, just on that in general, like going home during the holidays and going home to a narcissistic family member. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think some things that might be helpful for, you know, your listeners to keep in mind is really, um, well, I think for one, um, making the decision do I want to go or not? So that's probably step one. Yeah. I'm going to show up or not. And uh, I think this is a question that is very logical. Uh, you know, if maybe your dad is just, you want to see your siblings, you want to see your grandma and your aunt and uncle and everything is great. Your dad is just so overbearing and tends to ruin things, uh, particularly holidays and events, which that's usually what they do, um, then I would really, um, you know, kind of get 
quiet and internal and really figure out, is this the best decision for me? Do I really want to go? And so a way that you can kind of navigate that is, well, what would I get from it? You know, if I do go, what do I get from it? Well, the advantages I'd see, you know, the rest of my family that I really love and would like to see them. Okay. So if that's a priority, that's what you would like to do, then what kind of things can you put in place to um, minimize the abuse or um, just discomfort or pain from seeing your dad? So could you set boundaries? Could you maybe sit away from them? You know, could you distance yourself um, from this person? So what kind of strategies could you um, do to try to help minimize that. So it's a little bit more tolerable to kind of get you through this evening or weekend. Yeah. I feel like the question of even like, well, do I even want to go is something like a lot of people would be helped to consider because I, yeah, I mean, I, I know like I've been posting a lot of videos lately on my social media specifically about like, you know, dealing with stress during the holidays, especially around family. And the comments are literally flooded with people complaining about their situations, totally valid. And also it's like, ultimately we have the choice, even though it might not feel like it, especially in these narcissistic dynamics. And maybe you can even speak on that too, of like a lot of times there's, you know, maybe some manipulation that happens when you say like, what if you don't want to go and you decide ultimately "Mm, this will not be good for my mental health to, you know, go to my hometown or whatever this Christmas, I'm going to decide to stay here. And you tell your parents and one of them is maybe narcissistic. And like, normally those conversations don't go well. So like, what tips would you give someone who's decided maybe for the first time that this isn't for them and they have to have that brave conversation. Yeah. I think that's a really good question. Do I want to go or should I go Mm. and really get clear about what your answer is? Because those are two very different directions that you're going to be taking. If you feel like you should go, um, why? Like, where are you getting this from? Because it's the right thing to do. Is it coming from your parents? Are you having guilt yourself? Or do you want to go because you're going to get more benefits from going that, you know, surpass the pain that you might be dealing with from, you know, this like narcissist. But the shaming questions are just classic. They are so common, you know, for somebody who's like, you know what? I'm just not feeling, I'm just not feeling it this year. I'm not feeling it. You know what? I'm really kind of sick of it. Thanksgiving should be about gratitude and love and family and, you know, connection and, you know, love. But what if you don't feel any of those things when you're sitting down at the table with all these people and you're like, Hey, past the mashed potatoes and it's like all you feel is actually guilt you're like wait I actually don't even want to eat because this is disgusting vibes totally I mean like I've lost my appetite because I feel sick to my stomach because I don't even want to be around any of you like this is not gratitude this is not 
connection. This is not love. This is not safety. I actually feel unsafe at this table and don't trust anybody here. And so it's oftentimes filled with, you know, because these narcissistic relationships, it's not just one person when you're talking about a family at Thanksgiving. It's everything else that it impacts other relationships, enablers, you know, the grandma, the sister. And so it's just this big problematic family dynamic. It's not just one person. And so oftentimes for Thanksgiving, it's just filled with all this, you know, judgment and feeling bad. And then these, you know, when somebody's like, you know what, I, I just can't deal with it this year. I'm not really wanting to go and I'm going to make a stance and say no. And you call your, you know, parents and say, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm not able to go this year. And then you get a phone call from your aunt and, you know, or your sister, are you serious? What's wrong with you? Like, why would you not go? You have no idea how long mom and dad are going to be around. What if this is their last Thanksgiving? Oh my God, the death card, like literally enrages me. It's so gaslighting mm-hmm. and blaming as though this person who has probably tolerated, I mean, people who take the stance of like, you know what? I'm not going to go. Maybe it's just the line of work that I do. I don't know. But people, when they do reach that point, they've hit a threshold. This is a decision that is made very carefully, Mm -hmm. almost too much to the point where you're analyzing, okay, if I go, then what if this happens? What if I just leave early? What if I just try to distance myself? No, that doesn't work. It's like probably years of just this rumination and chaos of feeling like you're forced. So when somebody really reaches the point and they're like, no, I'm not going anymore. This has been a well-thought decision. Mm -hmm. And what do they get in return? All this, they're the problem. All this victimization, all of this- Like victim blaming. Totally, this victim blaming. So the victim is actually the problem and they are just flooded with guilt, confusion. Nobody understands And all this gaslighting too, where, you know, it's like your aunt is like, well, I don't know why you have to be so sensitive. Why do you always have to bring stuff like this up? It's just how they are. This is just how your mother is. This is just how your father is. They were raised very tough. Um, I heard this personally from my aunt. Uh, This was, I swear to God, probably two weeks ago, I was on the phone with her lover. She's my mom's sister. And, you know, she's like, you know, so when have you spoken to your mother, sweetheart? And I'm like, uh, auntie, uh, still the answer is no, nothing's changed. And it's like, my life has never been better. And she's just like, you know, your mother, you know, really went through a hard time. She was very criticized, you know, by, you know, your grandma and she was very critical of her and she really got it pretty hard. And I was just like, yeah, I don't really care how she was raised. You know, I mean, it doesn't excuse really bad behavior of disloyalty and, you know, manipulation and emotional and verbal abuse. It doesn't excuse it. So I kind of don't really care how bad she had it. Mm -hmm. As an adult, we're all responsible for our own actions and how we treat people. So if somebody's going to treat me poorly, I don't freaking care (laughs) blood or not, or what the relationship is yeah, I'm done. I'm not going to invest the time or energy, even if it's Thanksgiving or Christmas. And there's this level of expectation, expectation, you know, it's like, 
but I get it. It's very, people struggle with guilt. That's and the so thing. For the, for the aunt coming to you, because I know this is something I've seen a lot as well as like, you know, you have maybe the hard conversation with a parent, you know, I'm not able to make it this year for whatever reason, blah, blah, blah. And then you, like you said, get a call from a sister aunt being like, wait, you're breaking mom's heart, blah, 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 blah. You know, would that be a flying monkey? Yes, I would say that is a flying monkey. More than anything, it's probably a little bit more of an enabler. Okay. There is that level of, you know, the biggest difference between like an enabler is there is a little level of um, innocence. They Mm. kind of just probably don't get it. They're unaware. They just kind of want to keep the peace. You know, um, I would say it's more of an enabler than a flying monkey. It's not necessarily malicious or there's no like bad intent or it's more just a peacekeeping at any cost mm-hmm. type of motivation. And to keep the family together. You know, this is how it's always been. This is how she always is. You know, let's just, you know, it it's Thanksgiving, you know, we're a family. And so yeah. uh, you know, we love each other, you know, but I think responses when you hear things like this um, from people and these questions, I think you have to, your response should be, um, you should clarify, is this person, does this person have ears to listen and mm-hmm. to actually hear me or not? Yeah, I think you should kind person. of identify, is this person like, like my aunt? I didn't even really go into any detail because I'm mm-hmm. like, no, she doesn't have ears to listen. She just is this very enabler and wants to keep the family together and believes that children at any age should respect their parents, even when their relationship is not working or abusive. That's just how she believes. And I know that. And so for me to sit there and go into a lot of detail into, in terms of why would not help anything. It's not going to change her mind. She's not really going to have ears to listen. So I think your response should be in two different categories. Does this person have, well, actually, actually categories. (laughs) I just thought, does this person have ears to listen? Yes or no. If they do, then yeah, I would go into a little bit of detail, but really rather than this person has done that to me, try to stick to why the relationship is not working. You know, I've noticed that over my life, my relationship, you know, with my mom, it's not working for me. You know, it doesn't feel healthy. It's not a healthy relationship. There's no boundaries. I don't feel respected. So rather than blame the other person, because they're probably going to get defensive and protect this, you know, um, you know, like narcissist stick to why it's not working for you, you know, be specific of, you know, I, I don't feel, you know, I don't feel like I can trust her. You know, this has been really hurtful. Uh, you know, it's my mom or aunt has made it very difficult for me to, um, be happy. This does, you know, this is not a healthy relationship. There's no respect. There's no boundaries. You know, I have felt, um, emotionally, you know, abused or something. If this person would really be able to hear it, um, that could be a strategy with someone who does have ears to listen and has the, um, capacity to really understand and if this relationship you value a lot, then go for it. But the next category is really, 
someone just like my aunt where I'm like, okay, yeah. You know, she's like, why aren't you going? Cause I'm not, it's not working out this year. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry to miss you. I really love seeing you and, you know, your kids, but this year it's just not going to work out. I'm really sorry, but maybe we can hang out after Thanksgiving, just really kind of try to avoid Mm -hmm. um, the question and not give specifics. And then I don't know for other people in the third category where it's just this random person, like, yeah, it's like, who even are you? Yeah. I mean, I would, I mean, if it's just some random person, like what, you're not going to Thanksgiving. Are you serious? Like, you know, you're so lucky to have your parents alive, you know, I mean, I just, you know, <laughs> oh my God, you know, like, I don't owe you anything, screw off. Um, yeah. You know, I've just been, when people say shit like that recently, I just go, oh, yeah. and just kind of let it hang, you know, like, well, my parents aren't around. I'd be grateful if I were you and you just go, yeah. That's a perfect response. I, I love just- it. Because you're totally right. There's certain people that do not, like, what are you going to say to freaking Sally down the block? There's nothing you really could say that would really have them understand your situation because they're really not yeah. asking. Well, they kind of are, but they're really not actually. What they're really asking is, it's a shaming question. Why aren't you going to Thanksgiving? Why aren't you, yeah. you know, respecting your parents and- showing up they're not really asking like hey what's going on why did you you know I'm I'm curious things must have been really bad that's where where my brain goes things mm-hmm. must have been really bad for you to make this decision because this could not be an easy one like this is actually a painful hard decision it's not the kind of thing where someone's like yay I'm not gonna go yeah family for Thanksgiving it's it's mixed with a lot of emotions and sadness and you know frustration and grief and anger and loss and you know um but people really are not like asking those questions so I mean I think that's really a perfect response just let it go it's almost like a gray rock hmm yeah you be you I'll be me <laughs> mm-hmm exactly because yeah I feel like getting into it with someone like that too it's kind of completely futile and normally too when when you've come to that place where you are cutting family off it's super super heartbreaking and there's like so much grief and like you said and it's kind of a touchy subject because there's such a deep societal pull to not do that you know, your family's your family. Like you said in your book, family's forever. Like is a family forever. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah. Um, okay. I think we should go to the questions that people ask because we got some amazing questions, um, specifically about the holidays too. So, um, sorry, can I just say one more thing about the, um, the family shaming and, uh, you know, a way to navigate through this because it is mixed with so much, you know, especially at the beginning, if this is like your first Thanksgiving where you're like, I've had enough. And these questions as the years go on, when this is maybe the third or fourth Thanksgiving, where you're a no show, it does, I think, get a little bit easier. You know, you can kind of tolerate those questions and, you know, you adapt, I think, but a way to kind of navigate through this is to be really clear about why this relationship has not worked for you. 
you know, be, you know, if you have to write down the examples of some of the terrible things and cruel things this person has done to you over the years, write them down because this really consolidates it. And when you're reading it and you're holding it, that's your truth. This is your proof. And it's harder to like minimize and to justify or forget about the facts of the bad behavior when you write it down. And so I would write it down and look at it, keep it in a journal, um, and then also be clear about what you value in life and you know what your needs are in a healthy relationship. Do you need and expect to, you know, be like respected? Do you need loyalty and trust? Do you need and expect um, compassion, empathy, uh, you know, connection from another person? And so you can see how these don't align when you look at them side to side, all this bad behavior that you've tolerated for, you know, years, your whole life from this person and what really aligns with you in life to connect with a healthy relationship. It does not add up. And so when you hold on to these truths, this is how you can, this can be helpful as a strategy of maybe strengthening yourself and maybe building your confidence to be able to handle these questions a little bit better where they don't affect you as negatively. Because if you're not clear with this and, and, you know, your aunt or grandma is like, are you serious? What the hell? You're not coming to Thanksgiving. She could be dead next year and so forth. You just kind of have like less guilt or confusion when you're like, nope. <laughs> you know, like not more conviction. Right. Yeah. I mean, it becomes like a strength and you're like, no. I don't care, you know, that she's my mom or my dad, or I don't care about any of this stuff. This is not okay how I have been treated. Here's my proof and my facts of how this person has tried to ruin my life and did all these terrible bad things and why it's problematic behavior. Mm -hmm. And it's not ever improving because I've tried everything. Sorry. Right. I'm more than happy to miss Thanksgiving, give my seat to someone else, <laughs> save the turkey. Yeah. On that too, I feel like you mentioned this before we started recording, but you said like this kind of abuse, whether it be um, familial or romantic, it hardens you. And you said that can actually be like an attribute once you've gone through the fire, because there's there's a certain level of earth shatteringness to this kind of abuse because it's so manipulative and so it makes you question your, like you said, your self-validation and your sanity. But once you're through it, you do have this hardness that can almost be utilized. Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It it does. It, you know, I would say I hear this from almost everybody I've ever worked with. You just feel, you know, um, broken and, you know, you've lost everything or so much and you feel, hard and you, you know, it really does jade you and your perception it's, you know, any kind of trauma shapes us for the rest of our life and going through a relationship like this with this type of abuse is trauma. We know this it's complex PTSD over a long period of time. 
So it does shape us for the rest of our life, our perception, our interpretation, um, our, you know, the way in which we connect with others, our capacity of trusting, discernment, it, uh, you know, how we move through things are, you know, um, questioning others, you know, being skeptical. And so it really does shape us, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I really do. It absolutely is yeah. a virtue. It's a beautiful thing, you know, and this is why, you know, when you come out on the other end, you know, through appropriate healing and treatment, you are so much stronger, you know, your sense of clarity, you have discernment, you can pick up on things that you never would have, you have this strength about you. So when people say things like this to you, you're just like, screw off. Like, I know what I know. This is not okay. You know? And so you are so much stronger in your values and your needs and your expectations in a relationship, but you're right. It does harden you and it's not a bad thing. (laughs) One thing I've like noticed with myself too, is that my capacity for bullshit is like the bar is in hell. Like literally I, if I smell something in my like professional life or my personal life that I'm like, that was weird. Like after three strikes, I'm like, you're dead to me. Cause Mm -hmm. it's like, that's the thing. It's like, after you've been through this and you've picked up the pieces and you've done all the, the healing, like you said, you're like, wow, that was a really big project. And I don't really want to do that again anytime Mm -hmm. soon. So you become really stingy and really strict about like, I'm so picky about who I let into my life now. Like so picky because I'm like, I'm not doing that again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You already know it doesn't work. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's so easy to fall into the trap of like giving a second chance, a third chance. And, you know, it's like, well, they've had a tough day and they've had a hard childhood and, you know, well, they do have good, you know, aspects about them, you know? And so it's like, you kind of push your boundary, your expectation and the other person kind of gets a little clouded. But once you've been through a relationship like this, all of that kind of goes away. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I agree with you. I, I, I said this in my book too. I think it was towards the beginning. I said, um, I've reached the point in my life where if I see behavior in someone pretty much like one time, if somebody lies to me, like a decent lie, uh, the first time I'm done, like I can cut people off who I've known my entire life. Uh, when I reach the point where I'm like, yeah, I'm done. This isn't going anywhere. But when I cut them off, I have zero guilt and confusion Hmm. in a way. I'm kind of almost like, Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I saw this with more clarity years ago. I did not, but now I do. And I'm not going to tolerate it. But when it comes to friends, I mean, whoopsie, my earring. (laughs) When it comes to friends, I will um, like new people, you know, one or two strikes. And I'm like, "Mm, no, I already, it's almost like you already know where it's going to go. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I wait, I've been here before. Or just the toxicity, you know, I always say you can always tell if something's toxic when you have that kind of reaction, when there's been a dynamic and you're like, and your response is like, hmm, Mm -hmm. 
like, you know, it's almost like you can't even describe it. You just know it was weird. Like a smell almost where you're just like, hmm, that smells fishy. Right. You know? Sense like, oh, uh, I don't know. That was like that gut feeling I feel. Uh-huh. Where it's almost beyond. And I've had that a lot actually, where especially after these last few years where I've tried to tell like all over my partner, I'm like, I can't really put it into words, but something is not right with this person. Or, you know, they said something that seemed innocent, but it felt pointed or whatever. And then something happens with them. And I go, I told you, you know, yeah. it's like, so I feel like that is like definitely um, a strength that you get. Um, obviously nobody deserves to go through this and no one wants to go through this. But if you have, that's, you know, I think a gift that it gives you. And one thing I noticed in your book too, that I loved was like, you were talking about how you, um, how your current relationship is different than your previous one and how there's a lot of healing that can be done. Because like you said in your book, you said something like how, when you're used to these dynamics in familial and then romantic, you your body and your nervous system just adapts to it. And then when you go into a relationship with someone who's actually very healthy, your body doesn't necessarily get the memo. And so there's a lot of like already programmed, you know, reactions. And then when you're with someone, I think it was on anxious attachment Mm -hmm. when you're like, wait, you don't love me. And he's like, wait, yes, I do. And you're like, no, you don't. He's like, yes, I do. And I thought that was really sweet on how, like, how obviously we can feel so destroyed by these abusive relationships, but we actually can really heal and repair in healthy relationships. Yes. And new healthy relationships. It's like this kind of slow development. You kind of figure it out along the way, especially if you've like never had, I mean, I work with a lot of people who have you know, they're like, I've actually never had a healthy relationship in my life. You know, I don't really have a, a template for it, you know, and that makes sense to me. So the nervous system, we are always just trying to, you know, go back to homeostasis, what we're familiar with, even if it's dysfunctional or unhealthy, it's familiar. We know what to expect. There's no surprises. And so when you're trying to form those healthy relationships, you know, it's kind of trial and error. Those old thought process patterns are going to creep back in, you know, um, where, yeah, it is going to be confusing and maybe feel boring. It's probably going to feel boring. That's what I hear. Oh my God. That's totally how I felt with Oliver. We hit a point in our relationship where like, this is so like stable because I had a really tumultuous ex-boyfriend And I was like, wow, this is like, this is weird that it's calm. What's wrong with us? I don't get this. Let me. This must be, yeah, this must be wrong. Like it feels too calm. Uh Uh-huh. He must not like me. Maybe I don't like him. Right. Your nervous system, just that's what it's expect. That's what it's expecting to receive is that kind of chaos, toxicity, ups and downs, the cortisol, adrenaline, you know, oxytocin, where you're just like, you know, it's like this roller coaster, you know, the brain and body always 
wants to, it always goes back to safety. And so if we know something, if we have this expectation of what something is going to be like, and there's no surprises, that's a level of um, safety and familiar, even when it's actually not. So it takes a while for the nervous system to adjust and adapt. And it can absolutely feel boring where you're just like, there's no, I don't understand. I mean, Chris and I have probably We've been together, I guess, over five years, and I think we've probably had a total of maybe four arguments, but this is like, not like you're an effing this or anything like that. I mean, it's just like a pretty big disagreement. Maybe it was like a day of us not engaging and interacting, and then we move through it and we're able to like come to a resolution where oftentimes if it's done correctly and well, conflict can actually create more intimacy if it's dealt through appropriately, not as a way of harming the other person or controlling or manipulating, but actually as, as a way of just kind of like building more understanding and connection. I mean, you can not agree on something, but if you're respectful and kind to each other, then you can kind of get through anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, I, I I hear this all the time from people who like have formed a healthy relationship for the first time. And they're always like, it's kind of weird and boring. Like, it, like, is it, you know, maybe I don't love him or maybe he doesn't love me. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Stay <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Let's just stay here. Let's give your body some time to adapt and adjust, you know, let's let the cortisol and adrenaline you know, balance out. And you talked about that a lot in your book as well. Like the period of time, like when it comes to healing, especially, I mean, I, I personally have never had an experience where I'm like married to um, a narcissist and had kids with a narcissist and had to divorce and set like all of that. I is huge. And I can't imagine. And I've experienced narcissistic abuse and on different levels. And I know that those levels felt earth shattering and took a long time to recover from. Like I was tired and I was taking naps every day for like months, which I normally never take naps. Um, And when it comes to someone who's been in a relationship or they're living with this person who's like basically just making them feel crazy for years on end. And then I know the process of divorcing a narcissistic person is not easy um, either. Like, I just can only imagine that the recovery period where your body is just really physically exhausted is quite longer than most people would like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the research shows that the longer you are in this relationship, the bigger the investment. If you maybe dated this person three years and then you left versus you were with this person 10 years or 15 and then left. Makes sense. It'd be a longer period of healing and recovery, the longer the relationship. If you were with this person 25, 30 years, yeah, this is going to probably be a few years of healing and recovery it is going to be another investment, just like the relationship was in your healing treatment and recovery. It's huge. It takes money. It takes uh, courage. It takes a lot of time, a lot of patience. 
through healing, we have to be kind and patient and give ourselves permission. You know, um, kindness and self-compassion is huge when you're dealing with and healing from this type of trauma, but it is, I mean, the nervous system, I think this is why we always aligned because, you know, your work with the body and creating that, um, you know, balance and integration and feeling whole when you're healing from trauma, it is so important. I mean, the body, you know, it's like it, you know, our body stores trauma, whether we like it or not, you know, because it always goes back to survival. We have to keep ourselves, you know, and be on guard if there's a threat. So our body always, you know, it's like that book, our body just keeps the school oh, yeah. of all of the trauma. And so it takes a long time, years of really giving ourselves that grace and permission, being kind to ourselves, regulating the nervous system through these emotions. Um, I mean, I like to say for, you know, I would say at the base, I would say about one to two years for women. If that you were in reasonable. a relationship, huh? I feel like that's reasonable. Yeah. I would say any relationship, five years or more, I would say pretty standard, like one to two years. But again, if you were with a person 20, 25, then I would give yourself more. But the thing to keep in mind is this sounds like a long investment, one to two years or more, but as you move through the healing and the treatment, you kind of go through deeper layers. It's not like you're suffering the whole time. Once you kind of build the tools and the strategies and you're setting boundaries and you're, you know, healing from the past and you're finding um, ways to manage ruminating thoughts, you know, that can get really debilitating and interfere with sleeping and uh, thinking clearly and so forth, you handle triggers and situations better. I mean, does it go away? No, but you do handle them better where it's not quite as severe and intense, like something that might, you know, probably at the beginning, if you receive a text message, you know, from your ex or whatever. And I mean, I was certainly like this, it would cause a negative spiral where I feel like I couldn't function for sometimes like two to three days. You're just in rumination. It's like this black fog. You have no energy. You can't breathe. Um, but then over time that will lessen. And so maybe this text message or an email, or when you see them, it's a little bit of a trigger for maybe a day or a half a day. And then maybe an hour, like now when I get triggered by a text, it'll probably be like maybe an hour and then I'm able to move through it. So it does get, it does get better. Yeah. Beautiful. So let's move into the questions because these are really amazing um, questions that people ask and I just want to make sure we get to all of them. So maybe we do like a shorter kind of like speed round for this, just okay. like a few of your thoughts, like what you would recommend to this person. Um, the first one has to do with specifically the holidays and this person wants to know about what you think about how narcissists can trigger eating disorders during the holidays. Thanksgiving specifically is super triggering for me because of all of the attention on food and generally judgy conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. I think my first maybe thought is, I think this would be a good question for this um, listener. Do you really want to go to Thanksgiving? You know, this would be a very 
good time to sit down and decide, do you really want to go? Why? What are your reasonings? What are going to be the the benefits and what are going to be the cost of going? And really kind of weigh it out. Do I have way more risks and costs, you know, uh, versus benefits? Maybe this might be a good time this year to maybe, uh, you know, maybe this won't work out for me this year. I'm really sorry. Love you, but it's not working out for me this year. But you're right. It can increase and have so many triggers. Um, Holidays, narcissists, especially when there's, um, you know, you mentioned an eating disorder. Um, It's anxiety. It's anxiety. And so, you know, we all develop when we've been in relationships like this, oftentimes coping strategies that are oftentimes not healthy for us as a way of dealing with it, whether it's alcohol or maybe, you know, addiction to social media, trying to distract ourselves, eating disorders. Um, I have a really close friend who um, has an eating disorder and she has absolutely correlated her eating disorder, her binging, uh, and she's in her late forties is directly correlated when she's around her mother, when she's around her mother, whether it's talking to her on the phone, being around her, um, having a dinner with her, she will go home and it usually lasts for about a week where she'll binge and then vomit. And so, you know, being around this person, their toxicity, the energy, it's triggering when they make their comments, you know, at dinner, um, all of this can really put somebody in a really, really bad, difficult situation when you're trying to just enjoy yourself with your family. So, I mean, that's why I say like, maybe, maybe it might not be a good idea if it's, if you're worried about, you know, your eating disorder getting worse, um, and, you know, escalating like dynamics with the narcissist and everything. I mean, that sounds terrible to me. That does not sound like it sounds terrible. One <laughs> thing terrible. I was thinking was like with no- with normal people that don't struggle with <laughs> narcissism, it's a really nice way of saying it. With people that are more healthy, I feel like you could say, you know, if someone makes a comment, wow, you're eating a lot, like whatever. And you go, oh, you know, like I'm kind of sensitive about comments about um, food, if you would mind just refraining from making any comments and someone who's like healthy would be like, Oh God, sorry. Yeah, no problem. And then they'd stop. But that's Mm -hmm. really, I think not what's happening in these dynamics that we're describing in the dynamics we're describing. If you would likely say something like that, even very politely, um, it probably wouldn't be met with respect at all. So I feel like your thought of maybe, well, is this, the right environment is maybe am I going to feel safe at this dinner you know I mean with 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 eating disorders there's already so many triggers you're in front of other people there's food there's unlimited food it's mixed with a lot of you know anxiety and past Mm -hmm. behavior you know and worry mixed with this abusive dynamic. And so it's like, this is just like bad on top of bad on top of bad, but yeah, you're right. I would suspect somebody who is narcissistic or even their enablers making a comment like that, like, you know, Hey, please don't do that. You know, that, you know, it's really not helpful when you 
say things like that. It's not helpful to me. I suspect it would actually be used as ammo to come back harder to degrade you because that's really ultimately what the narcissist wants to do. And they're probably the ones who maybe caused the eating disorder to begin with. Who knows? God, seriously. (laughs) That's so real, man. Yeah. It's yeah. I'm sure they probably caused it. And so they're sitting there to the source, man. What do you think? And you're like, you know, scared and nervous, you know, like, I don't, you know, you know, in this space and they're just sitting here watching this, loving it. Yeah. They want you to be in this place of like discomfort to trigger your eating disorder. And then they're going to throw it on you. Like, look at how crazy you are. You've got a mental illness. You've got an eating disorder. You are so crazy. It's going to be used against you. Straight from Dr. Justine Weber. Um, okay. For the next one, this person said, um, what would you suggest when up against a narcissist? I've always been told that gray rock is the only way I'd love to know how to tell them like it is without giving them any power, how to make them accountable and almost force them to self-reflect. So what are your thoughts on that one? Mm, so this probably is not going to go how you would like. I think um, maybe start off by reading my book. It might, might give you some tips and some insight um, into the narcissist um, because really you need to, having these expectations of, I want them to be accountable. I want them to you know, apologize, you know, I need them to own up to their bad behavior. I got to tell you, this is why these relationships are so complicated because having these expectations is good. This is a good thing to, you know, if you have a friend and they maybe lie to you, Hey, that was not cool. I caught you in this lie. Or why did you do this? I noticed you did that. Why did you do it? A normal person would be like, wow, I'm so sorry. Yes. I did. I'm really sorry. I've been really stressed out. I'm sorry if I hurt you. I didn't mean it. I promise that, you know, it won't happen again. And then you'll probably see maybe better behavior if they're a normal person. But to a narcissist, this will never work out in this way. Mm-hmm. You can have the expectation of, I need them to be accountable. I need them to um, admit what they did. It will never happen. A narcissist, there this image of theirs, of how they're being portrayed and how they're looked at from others is everything. It's like their oxygen in life. If they don't have this image, their, you know, this reputation, this, um, you know, validation and all of that from others, it's like they're dying. They need this to survive. So you confronting them of, hey, you need to be accountable to them, it's like this earth shattering thing. They will never come back with like, oh, I'm so sorry this happened. They're going to actually probably attack you. It's going to be Darvo. You know, they're going to like deny it. Then they're going to flip it on you and basically attack you and shift blame. You're the problem. Why are you so sensitive? Why do you always do this? Why do you always have to act so crazy? I never did this. You know, you always have to do this. And so it's really going to leave you more confused, frustrated, angry. Um, and, you know, more than anything, it's not going to 
help improve the relationship. So I would say, first off, adjust your expectations. Like, what do you really want from this relationship? What are you needing from this relationship? Mm-hmm. And then kind of go from there, if that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like that's that's very reasonable. And you talk about, I mean, one thing I really appreciated about your book is that you have um, like actual scripts like literal lists of things to say like word by word because I think that's the thing too with narcissism like people that are narcissists really enjoy um emotional hooking and so if you can just give them nothing like that's usually the best way to go so Right. But I do want it to, because I think you're, uh, the listener asked about gray walking, uh, gray rocking. And I mm-hmm. um, wanted to talk about yellow rocking mm-hmm. communication. Yellow rocking is another strategy. Um, again, it just kind of depends on who this person is. Is this person like an ex-husband where you don't have any kids together? And this can be an easy, no contact. I would say gray rocking. Is this person an ex-husband and you have kids and maybe a business together? Then yellow rocking, actually. If you're in the middle of a court situation or about to go to court or with a mediator and you have children, then yellow rocking is much more appropriate. So yellow rocking is this strategy where you really use kind of softer, kind, clear, sticking to the points communication. It's not this disengagement, mm-hmm. ignoring, and dis- like professional. Like you're just being professional for the record, right? You said a lot about documentation, so you know being exactly record. So people, so I work with a lot of my um, clients who, because I mean, who can actually really do the no contact? Like very few people. So all my clients who I work with, you know, they are like right in the middle of court, you know, or about to, or they just are on high alert. They haven't finalized yet. And so they use the, you know, the family apps, Hmm. always write an email or a text. And so what oftentimes happens, this is what I do with my coaching business, particularly with a high conflict, like divorce uh, coaching piece of it is I'll tell them, okay, like send me some screenshots of the correspondence between you and your ex. So they'll send it to me. And then I always have them, not always, I really try to uh, have them start off first. Can you write a response using this yellow rock strategy and then send it back to me and I'll give you some feedback. And so I'll do this a few times until it really is kind of a formula. But you always construct an email or a text assuming that somebody from the court, an attorney or judge, is going to read it. You don't show any emotion. You don't show any um, evaluation, accusations. You stick to facts. You stick to facts and you are nice about it. So you might start off, you know, an example, your ex is like, why don't you ever tell me anything from the, you know, about the kid's schedule? Like what's wrong with you? You always get everything wrong. And I always have to figure everything out. Are you just trying to keep the kids away from me? You know, this is what you always do. Are you trying to alienate? Cause they always use that, that word to the protective parent that they're the alienators. Are you trying to alienate me from my kids? So you have to respond to that 
uh, again, if a court person is reading this, you have to respond with not so much defending yourself, but explaining yourself with facts. Dear so-and-so, I read your email. I hope you're having a nice day. <laughs> I would never try to prevent the children from being with their dad. I want my children to have a relationship with their father. Would it be helpful if I sent you once a week the kids' schedule of their activities? Question mark. I hope you have a good day. Leave it at that. So don't get into this like defending, will you always do this, you know, or that. It doesn't matter. Don't show emotion. Don't show frustration. Be al almost like construct it like you're an attorney and you're really just kind of answering the question. Be really clear of what am I trying to get across? What is my question? Well, in this particular example, you need to clarify that you would never try to prevent the kids from being with their dad. Uh, and then secondly, there needs to be some kind of resolution to the situation with the kid's schedule and the dad. So think of a solution that might be helpful and be really clear and brief. Do not be wordy. Brief, brief, brief. Yeah. Um, okay. Just for the account of time, we'll do these like super speed round. So this one is how to undo believing that you are the bad person and the narcissist after experiencing narcissistic abuse. Undoing that you are the bad person. This really just, I'd like to give a really easy, um, quick answer. It's really through treatment mm -hmm. and healing. It takes quite a while to detach from this mindset because this has been the mindset that you've been flooded in for years, however long you were in this relationship of, you know, probably being, you know, maybe like a, you know, a people pleaser trying to fix things. Like, what can I do different? What am I getting wrong? Like, what's wrong with me? Why do I always, you know, get this wrong? Um, trying to fix the relationship. And so detaching from that and healing from that really takes some time because you have to unpack these, um, all these, uh, distorted beliefs that you've developed during this relationship and replacing them with your truth mm -hmm. and healthy ones. It really takes probably like, I would say like a solid year yeah. through this treatment. I mean, there's a lot of journaling. There's a lot of, um, you know, that's a good strategy to kind of begin doing journal journal like once a day in the morning. Um, another strategy that I work with my clients is um, saying it out loud when you notice you're having the thought, like mm -hmm. uh, what was the question again? Uh, that you are the bad one. That you're the bad person and the narcissist. Okay. So if you are having the thought of I'm such a bad person, what's wrong with me? I'm such a bad person. Say it out loud. I notice I'm having the thought that I'm a bad person. I notice I'm having the thought that I'm a bad person. And you could write it down. I notice I'm having the thought that I'm a bad person and put the piece of paper away from you and look at it. It's going to be a really helpful strategy of creating that distance and disengagement between our thoughts and who we are. You, you are no, you're simply noticing you're having that thought. It doesn't make you a bad person, but writing it out can be really therapeutic just putting it across yeah I feel like sometimes that can break the spiral 
for sure. Mm -hmm. So the last question is, how do you control your anger after narcissistic abuse for so long? Yeah, so um, anger is not a bad emotion. Um, anger is a primary emotion, actually. Um, and we experience anger for a reason. It's telling us something when our body, when, when we are noticing I am in a state of anger right now, there's a reason for it. What am I noticing? What do I need right now? What is this anger about? And so I think first off, anger is not a bad emotion. I know most people, I, you know, this comes up a lot in my treatment with clients where you just don't want to be angry. You feel like a bad person by feeling so much anger. You just want to let it go. You want it to release. It's not comfortable, but we actually, in order for us to kind of move through it, when we notice we're in angry states, we actually need to lean in first. When we lean in first to our anger without evaluating it or making interpretations, because this can cause us to like kind of go into our head and then it almost like creates more emotions, really just this is where your work comes into place. Go into your body and just simply describe the sensations that you're noticing in the moment. If you know that you're angry, something pissed you off, something, um, you know, you felt attacked or threatened, just lean in. What am I noticing? What sensations in my body am I noticing? Where? How do I know I'm feeling angry right now? Well, maybe my hands are squeezing together. I'm noticing I'm sweating. I notice I'm noticing that my head is very like heavy. I'm noticing my chest is pounding really hard. I'm noticing this heaviness in my chest. I'm noticing my stomach feels a little nauseous right now. I feel this like twisting in my stomach. I'm noticing a ton of energy in my body. Whatever you are noticing, just lean in, give yourself that grace and permission to notice it, maybe journal about it. Um, then you could ask yourself, what do I need right now? What is my body telling me? Do I maybe need to do something so, you know, so I feel safe? Do I maybe need to be kind to myself? What can I do right now to... Um, you know, uh, to tell my nervous system that I'm okay and that I'm safe. So your, so your nervous system is reacting with some trigger in your environment, probably from the past. It oftentimes doesn't have anything to do with what's happening in the moment, but it's some trigger from the past. So this is why it's important to like lean in, give yourself that grace and permission, be kind to yourself. What can I do to that might be helpful. Maybe take a bath, go for a walk outside, journal, maybe call a friend, do some, some of your amazing breath work, um, always helps, but I just really want to, uh, you know, clarify for your listeners that anger is not bad. Are there ways that we can regulate it to where we're not feeling like the anger is controlling us? Yes, absolutely. Through these strategies you know, um, but making decisions in life when we're in those, in that angry state is probably not going to be very helpful. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's a good point. And also just for this listener, like 
coming out of an abusive situation like this, it's super normal to experience anger. Like in an unspoken voice by Peter Levine, he goes really deep into that rage response. If that interests you, you can read that um, that book as well. And then also I have a podcast on a whole like workshop I did about divine rage um, because that's what it is. It's like divine anger, especially after um, a situation like that. So um, that being said, we're coming up to the end of the podcast. So Justine, I'd love to, for you to do like another little um, promo for your book because it's it's really incredible. And for anyone who's been um, had any experience with narcissistic relationships, I really appreciate this book because it's from your perspective where you've gone through this. And it's I was saying this before we started recording, like it cuts the bullshit and it's very just real you know? So, um, if you want to just say like any last thoughts you have on the book or just anything that we've gone over in general. Yeah. I, um, well, I mean, first off, thank you. I do appreciate it. I mean, like I said, you're the, the uh, third person who has read this outside of the professionals that I hired in, uh, constructing it. But, um, you know, I wish this book existed when I was going through my situation. Um, I, you know, I, I feel like it's a, very thorough from start to finish. Um, but yeah, that's really how I tried to, I'm glad that that was your experience of the book. Cause that was really what I had in mind when I was writing it is just being real, you know, um, women that I work with just so desperately want this like genuine, real connection because they've just been so lost for such a long time and everything has been so confusing. So to have something where it's just like, you can be yourself and it's, you know, genuine, just this real connection. Um, but yeah, my book, it's, uh, the launch date is December 7th and you can purchase it through, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. I have a few, um, book signings at Barnes and Noble in various, uh, places so you can purchase it from there. I'm actually not even sure how much it oh, is. What? I'm going to go get my like, book signed from you. Yay. I will give you a nice, hot, fresh book signing <laughs> copy. Yeah. I, I think the book is like $16.99 or something. I'm actually not even sure. Um, okay. Yeah. Normal book price. Yeah. And, oh, and then I'm going to be doing a, um, audio too, for those oh. of us who are super ADD and have a hard time reading books. And if you prefer audios, which is me, I'm going to be doing that in a month. So that'll be released in probably like two months. So it's like awesome. easier accessibility. Yeah. yeah. That's great. I love that. I mean, I will say I appreciate all the lists in the book because it made it more like visually um, appealing. And I'm just, I like, I appreciate lists. Like there was a lot of numbered lists and a lot of script lists. So um, even if you're not super into reading normal books, like it's very um, digestible. So mm -hmm. thank you I so much that. for coming on. It was literally amazing. Always is. And um, definitely go out and buy Justine's book because it's amazing. It's amazing. I think so too. I'm very proud of it. Thank you so much for having me. We always have a good time. Yeah. Thank you. That's all for today for the Your Own Medicine podcast. Thank you so much for listening. 
these episodes do come out pretty sporadically, so if you'd like to be notified each time a new episode comes out, please subscribe on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Um, And you can always follow my journey along, which I always post when a new episode comes out on my social media, TikTok and Instagram, at Yoga. And feel free to keep in touch. You can also check out my website at kaliklugyoga.com. Thanks for listening and see you next time.